episode 30 with David Ditchfield. Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am Kim McCall. The premise underpinning discussions on this podcast is that life extends beyond the physical dimension, that death is not the end of life, that we're all connected energetically with each other, both in the physical dimension and across dimensions, and that there is a purpose to our life that involves growth, healing and assistance to each other. I aim to have conversations to expand your consciousness, help you reconnect with your essential self, and live life as an integrated, multidimensional human being. But given the subject matter, a request. Don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. The musical introduction to this episode is by Finnish fusion artist Axel Teslev, and this song is called Reincarnation. My guest in this episode is David Ditchfield, author of Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a moving train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. The name of the book says it all, really. David was a regular working-class fellow living in London, pretty down in his life, and things seemed to be getting even worse when he got dragged under this train. The fact that he survived is really a miracle. And not only did he survive, but he came back to report a pretty dramatic, um, classical kind of near-death experience um, with some really fascinating elements, including the fact that after he returned, he had a new talent for art and um, a talent for creating classical music, neither of which he had done before the experience. Um, I recorded this conversation with David as a Facebook Live, so there's going to be a bit of interaction with um, people asking questions. And um, I was really fascinated both with David's experience, but actually really with the transformation that it had in his in his everyday life, how he went from someone who was really struggling to someone who may well still be struggling in areas, but has just such a different attitude um, to life now, as he will describe in this interview. So I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. David, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Um, oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for getting me along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to connect. Um, so the first thing I thought I'd, I'd ask, and that is, um, you know, there's, there's something which we'll talk to about later, which is really the remarkable kind of draw you had towards art and music, which mm. weren't skills you had before. But I was actually reflecting on the fact that the very fact that you wrote a book in itself mm. is almost in the same category because you emphasize quite it a is. bit in your book your struggle with writing and you know your dyslexia. That's right, yeah. So yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you went about writing the book. Well, it, it took me some time. It's something that I'd always wanted to do um, was to actually write my story. And I, from the off, I thought I'm never going to be able to do this because of my dyslexia. I mean, I'd left school without any qualifications, basically. And so 
that is quite a stigma in itself. You go through life feeling like a failure, you know, and you're never going to be able to really fit into society. Well, some people do, but I certainly didn't. And, uh, um, but, um, a friend of mine, um, said, Oh, we, I, I know someone who, who might be good, who might be interested in ghostwriting for you. And, uh, I said, oh, that sounds great. I said, what's a ghostwriter? So they explained to me. So, yes, I, I, I basically, a ghostwriter came in and helped me put the whole book together and uh, helped me structure it so that we could, I could write it and, and get it out there. And um, it was quite interesting because I'm, I didn't know just how hard it would be to, to get a book published. But um, I, I was lucky because... Um, you know, I was I was putting it out there to a few agents and what have you. In fact, I, I got a, a New York agent initially because I realised that uh, America was quite a big market and there was a lot of people interested in in near death experiences. So that was quite good, and that kind of didn't really go anywhere, you know. And then I kind of went quiet, and then suddenly, just as I was like feeling like, well, I don't know where that's where it's going to go from here. I was contacted by this guy who'd been given the book by by someone else who turned me down in the UK. Only they turned me down because they said it just wasn't their bag, you know, it wasn't their market. And uh, he loved it. And he said, uh, do you mind if I take it to the, the guys in my publishing team? I said, no, of course not. So they offered to sign me up and then it kind of went from there. And oh. and then, you know, that's, so, that's, that's how we got to this stage, you know, with, with the book. Yeah, coming out as it, as it did to a few days ago. So. so, so did you? Were you essentially interviewed by the ghostwriter? Did you tell the story, and then the ghostwriter wrote it? Yeah, for you. Yeah, we uh, we did hours and hours and hours of interview, and um, you know that which I would do, and also the ghostwriter would say, "Oh, can you?" You know, we'd be in touch a lot. You know, um, we yeah, the, basically, you know, there'd be points where I'd say, "Well, hang on a sec." Um, I'm not sure about how you've written this. I wouldn't have said that, you know. So I, I could definitely be right on top of the whole game and make sure that it was me and that it was my voice that was coming right through, all, all the way through, which is which was important to us both. Yeah. Um, but yes, it was it was hours and hours of interviews that was then, then sort of, um, you know, then transposed in, into written word, and then the ghostwriter writer would read me back, basically. Some, I'd read some of it myself, but some, I'm so slow at reading because of my dyslexia. You know? And so, so the ghostwriter would like literally, we'd have long phone calls, and then, and then I, a lot of the time, it just rolled. I thought, wow, you know, how did you get inside my head? So yeah. that kind of that came uh, quite quickly, where where we both, you know, formed that that, that combination of, of connection. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like another. There's so many pieces of guidance in your story, right, or, or things that just yeah. kind of seem to fall into place, even if it doesn't always look like it's falling into place. Sounds like yeah, it's right, a yeah. It, 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 it was very much like that, you know. There's, um, there's been since my accident and my near-death experience has been, I felt that I've been guided for things to happen to, to sort of come forward and and and. Um, you know, sort of help me get get it out into the world and get the message out there as much as possible. Mm. So it's, it's it's quite it's amazing, you know, and it's something that I feel that we can all do as well. You know, as you said earlier, you know, you don't wouldn't recommend going through what I did going under a train, but I don't think you need to go through a dramatic accident um, at all to be able to um, get in touch with your your guides and and allow them to help you to um, you know. There's lots of things that I've learned that I feel that we can all do that, that we can all 
sort of try and achieve goals that we never thought we could do and then and also open our minds up to to look at opportunities that we never even thought of or dreamt of you know yeah yeah yeah. and i'd love to hear more about that as we go on yeah um i the other thing i was going to ask about the writing process is there is a, a quite a poignant voice in the book i found particularly some of those passages were particularly meaningful and that was um your counselor irene and mm. um it kind of made me wonder you know there's there's so her quotes which are very detailed and there's also some symbolically significant sort of passages of tv right you're you're watching tv and there's an astronaut uh, talking about astronauts having um altered states of consciousness and That's those right. sort of things and so I was curious, uh, I guess, like you wouldn't have remembered exactly what she said, right, when you wrote this, I'm guessing. You know, how did you, how did those passages come, come around? Do you remember that? Um, well, well, basically, a, a lot of the things that, that she did say were very clear in my memory because they were very important to me. They're a very important part of my journey. Yeah. And, um so yeah, we took a lot of time getting that right because there are two. There's a few figures that, that feature in the story, which are very much a part. Of it. Basically, the whole book itself. I didn't want it just to be about yeah, okay, guy goes under un, uh, under a train and has a near death experience. I wanted it to be a journey because it has been a journey from just showing you what my life was like before, taking you from that darkness and then through the light and then through through the whole story. And so Irene was a key figure and still is, you know, because she, it's, I wanted to use that one person to represent the spirituality that had come into my life and some of the teachings that I got, because basically Irene was a lot of the stuff she told me. Um, she was channeling through spirit because these ideas were coming through. That's what she told me. You know, I'd say, wow, that's amazing. And she'd say, well, that's just what spirit is telling me. You know, so he was like a medium, basically. So, so um, you know, I, I found that's, that's another that's, thing. That's interesting, though, because in the book, she comes across as quite materialistic, you know, to a point. Like she was saying, well, I don't believe that you had that. You know, it doesn't matter what oh, I believe. Irene, sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about joy. My, my apologies. Yeah, yeah, Irene, the, 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 the cancer. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. My, my apologies. I, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I've just had my first copy. So. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, no, my, no, Irene. Yeah. Irene, the counselor. Yes. So Irene, the counselor was, was, she was basically after my accident, I'd suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And, um, and so um, I um, um, was advised to have some counseling. Well, they, they just sent her in straight away so to, to, to sort of to deal with me. And, um, when I spoke to to her, um, I was full of what had just happened to me. I'd just come from this near-death experience. I just had this massive spiritual uh, moment, and I, and, I, and I was very keen to talk about that. But she wasn't. You know, she was trying to avoid that subject altogether. She was a scientist, and she was coming from a scientific point of view. But I could tell that there was underneath, there was, she was fascinated by what I was saying. So... So, yeah, I mean, I remember an awful lot of what, what went on in those sessions because um, I took them very seriously. You know, the, you know therapy is, is brilliant. I mean, it, it helped me through. It, it helped me through dealing with the fact that I'd 
okay, yes, I'd had a near-death experience, but I'd also been through a massive trauma of being pulled under a train. And, and you know, the mind-body uh, should not have to deal with something so huge as that, and I don't mm. know how it did. And so she had to, she had to really un- unlock an, an awful lot of that and bring that out. And I took those sessions very seriously. So, yeah, that's how I remember a lot of the dialogue yeah. from those sessions. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really valuable to have that um, to have that aspect in it too, right? Because I can imagine a lot of people might be attracted to the uh, sort of transcendent, transcend, transcendental, transcendental nature of your experience. Yeah. Um, but then to have that really grounded um, therapeutic narrative throughout the book, and to see how that is such an important piece, as you say, to deal with your trauma, but also to deal with that, really that state of depression that you were in before that all happened, right? Because you were in quite a dark place before before the accident. I was, yeah, yeah. So I needed to deal with all that as well. I needed to process that. Um, you know, I was, um, like I said, I'd, I'd left school without qualification. So I was living in London, and uh, when I was in London, it was a very sort of, it was, it's a great place to live, but like all capital cities, it's very expensive and it's very hard to get in there to make money. And so most of the work I was picking up was at that point was, was manual laboring work, which was uh, fine. But, uh, you know, I, I was struggling with that as well because I wasn't really great at doing that, that job. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't cut out to be a manual laborer. The other guys around me were a lot more suited to it. So they were a lot happier in their skins doing that job. So, right. so yeah so i had to deal with an awful lot of that as well you know the fact that um i felt a failure even in that point of view so i was drinking heavily as well um because that was my way of dealing with any issues that were going wrong in my life yeah yeah i had a i'm just trying to think whether i had a there's there's a it's actually i i was i was thinking you know it's actually quite quite painful to to read some of that inner life of you as you describe it right and you there's this passage here where you say um if i feel unconfident in a social situation i just need to drink a bit more then i will be able to perform be confident then i won't look stupid in front of anyone important or successful i just need to drink a little bit more to get to that confidence state and then you say only an idiot has that kind of logic right but that was kind (laughs) of what was what was happening right yeah. as it sounded it was yeah you know i was um i was basically also trying to sort of um uh, up my game i was i was trying i was trying to hang out with people who were successful at, at, at their own game and and i wanted that that's kind of reflect off on me but i was so that the more i did that the more i was beating myself up because i wasn't fitting in and succeeding at that mm. and i felt that you know, they they felt that I was below them and stuff because they they weren't very nice people to be on the street. Some of them at that, at that stage, but um, yeah. Um, but I also knew it as well. I, I, that that I, I knew that um, it was a mugs game, but I couldn't stop it. You know, it was it was a downward spiral. You know, I mm. couldn't stop drinking. And that, like all addictions, you kind of know eventually that it's not. You know, it's a, it's a no win situation, but you, yeah. you still you still keep thinking. Well, yeah one more drink will probably just pull me out of this or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it hasn't quite <laughs> worked so far, but this might be the one that makes the difference, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I just yeah. oh well, if I have a drink, that'll fix this feeling of uh, of emptiness. But yeah. um, it never ever did. Yeah, so. Yeah, and I mean that 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 is a quite that's sort of another trajectory throughout the story. Is like you're there is this certain you know desire for approval by your your girlfriend you have there for a while, Emily, and then later your brother. And this is kind of a theme that is in the in the story, right? And then. Yeah. There seems to be this gradual transformation. And again, I think Irene was quite crucial in that to a place where you um, start feeling more comfortable in your own skin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. She, she, I mean, she, she gave me an awful lot of self-confidence about my self-worth, you know, and, and uh, um, this made me realise that, uh, that I was kind of holding a mirror up to myself in in front of all those people around me feeling like they were all they'd all i just felt that so many people had just got it right basically you know in their lives which is not true because all those people probably hadn't got it right you know this, yeah. it's that some people are very good at um living their lives on a surface level if, if you like you know they're just kind of just skimming the surface all the time they're never really getting in touch with their their highest consciousness you know they're never really stopping to to really uh, connect properly. And I know that looking back now, I think I don't actually think I want to be in that stage at all. Well, I don't want to be, I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's an empty existence. And it's also um, destined to, um, you know, crashing at some point, you know, so it can't sustain itself basically. So, so yeah. So she helped me realize that as well, that those, those goals I was trying to set myself, were just not only unrealistic goals, but they were they were empty goals, you know. So, um, so she was very helpful. Mm. Yeah, and they were kind of goals that were determined by other people or what you thought other people right wanted. For That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And I think we all do that. We're all very guilty of that. You know, Definitely. it's, it's, it's a very, a- very common thing. It, it it almost feels like that's what's happened to the whole world actually since the whole COVID thing kicked off because um, it's almost like the whole world was just skimming its way across the surface. When I say the world, I mean societies throughout. You know, we're just kind of we're just going at this really fast pace, and then and then that suddenly came. It suddenly that crashed, if you like, and um, and it did. I felt that it did help a, an awful lot of people who wouldn't have have had that time to actually stop and and uh look within themselves and you know people like you know were suddenly stopping to bake their own bread and cakes and stuff and teach their own kids at home you know all the all these wonderful things that they would never have had the time to have done which are really important you know Mm. so so it's a bit like that so it was a bit for me yeah it was it was that i needed that i needed that moment to stop yeah stop trying to chase this 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 goal <laughs> yeah well and you got it in a big way right <laughs> we'll get to that in a sec but i i what the other thing i would like to i was just curious about and it's not really in the book but it's um mm. uh you know you talk about your, your time in a punk band i guess in your mm. i'm guessing kind of in your maybe teenage years or early 20s or something and um sure. uh i I was curious, you know, the, the sense I get is that up to the point of the uh, the, the accident, um, you hadn't really engaged with spirituality as such. You know, it wasn't something that was particularly 
present. No, it's all, but, yeah, but I yeah. wonder with hindsight, <clears throat> because it does appear, right, for someone to have the experience that you had, it appears that this was something that was, you know, say on your path, right? This was something that's obviously there for you. And the way it affected you is very profound. Not many people, even among people that have near-death experiences, not many people have necessarily what you're going through. Mm. So then I was curious whether with hindsight, you kind of can recognize maybe experiences from your childhood um, where perhaps you had, you know, kind of dream experiences or, or certain experiences that you now might interpret as connecting you with, you know, the other dimensions. And similarly, your time with your punk band, um, and I'm asking that because I was in a similar kind of scene in my teenage years and early 20s, and um, I did a lot of mind altering. And even though I didn't have a framework for it, I realized now that a lot of that was, it was a real draw to experience those other dimensions. So I was just curious whether there was anything like that for you. Um, I don't think there was really. Um... I mean, I, I feel um, looking, it's funny because I found this out again uh, with Irene through the therapy sessions. Um, um, we did, I remember we did like a, um, a hypnotherapy session at one point and um, she counted um, through the years of my life. And uh, then after that session, she turned around and said, what happened when you were 11? I said, hey, why do you ask that? She said, oh, because your, your, your finger lifted at that point and that means that that's a significant year. So I said, "All oh, right." So uh, I said that was the point where I'd started at um, my education at the senior school, where where I, I suddenly realised that my life, I felt like my life had ended. I'd been a very happy child up until that point, and then going into that big school and realising that wow, I, I'm I can't keep up with all the others, and I wasn't diagnosed with any yeah. dyslexia and stuff like that. I think that that was uh, so. I, I was in, interestingly enough. I was going to write a chapter into the book talking about um, the years just before that when I was happy, but it, it never went in because obviously you don't like all books. You know, you you, you you throw stuff out. You think no, that's, that's that's let's condense it or whatever. But anyway, to cut a long story short, um, I look back on those years and I think yeah, I was I was I was in a really good place. But from there onwards, I wasn't, and I and I and I so I wouldn't say that I really had any spiritual connection or any any dreams or there was nothing really indicating spirituality towards me at all yeah um uh the but it was interesting because i don't know if you remember in in the book where i talk about um my trip to the medium yes Uh, yes i would like you to talk about that so yeah go for it yeah sure well that happened again that was well i was going to say by chance but it's not now i think it was all part of my destiny that it was meant to happen but i was this is you know just a few months or whatever prior to the actual accident itself i'd gone up to visit my sister and her family uh, just for the weekend i needed to get a break and then i was i was on the train traveling up there and i and i met um uh, like there was an elderly couple sat opposite me and uh, the lady turned around to me. She was confused about where the stations were and stuff, where they had to get off. So we got chatting. And then um, while we were talking, she was, like, really keen to tell me about this medium that they were going to see in, in town. And I was going, okay. And, she, and I didn't really want to form any conversation, to be honest with you, at that point. But she was just saying, look, she's brilliant. You know, she's, she's unheard of, but she's a real gem. You know, she's fantastic. You've got to come along. 
And so I said, okay, thank you for letting me know. And then she handed me this flyer, like a small poster. She said, come along. So I, I folded it up and put it in my pocket. Forgot all about it and um, arrived at my sister's. And uh, I think I'd, you know, I'd gone out decided to go out and have a pint in the local bar or what have you. And uh, I was sat there and I looked, I pulled this flyer out of my pocket and I looked at it and I think, Do you know what, I'm going to go. And I decided to go and it was just like sort of like, one of those why not let's go and see what it's about and i arrived at this um lovely small spiritualist church which was in the town where my sister lived and i i walked through this doorway and uh it was packed you know it was just like everyone was in there and i managed to get myself a seat and i sat down and this uh, medium came out and um she was just she was called julia knight and she was she was amazing she was just like pacing around and she was very animated and almost like talking to herself and to these voices as if people were there that I couldn't see and she was connecting with them. And um, she was getting all these messages through to people who, who wanted to connect with their loved ones who'd passed on. And she was bang on every single time, you know, people were like, I could see how much joy she was bringing to these people. And then she suddenly turned around to me and I wasn't looking for a message to be honest with you. And then she said, you know, man in the blue uh, sweater over there, uh, your, um, your life's about to change. She was very direct with it. I went, oh, okay. So, of course, said, I figured... Uh, you describe in the book that not only did she pick you, but there was a real change that came upon her, right? There was a real difference in her demeanour and her yeah. voice and so on. Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't like all the others, you know. When she was chatting with, with all the other people, um, she, it, it was, she seemed a lot lighter on, on the whole subject. Where with me, it just kind of... It, like, it seemed like a very uh, intense moment. And um, and she she looked like I'm not going to say she looked like she was being, she was possessed, but she she looked like she was very much connecting with whoever was was giving her this message. And I could tell that she was like stopping to think about it as well. You know, when she gave when she delivered the message, my response straight away was kind of like I kind of went I was kind of light hearted about it. I went okay, um, you know. In what way is it going to change? And um, she literally just had to stop, and she just kind of froze. And then she said, "They're not telling me that. They're, they're not telling me. They're just saying it's going to be big, and be ready for it." And um, and so and, and you know, basically, she said they're, they're going to. Yeah, I know. How could you so ever have been ready for it, right? About <laughs> what? Sorry. How could you ever have been ready for it if they told you? What I know. Was I know. Yeah, well, I mean, I I still figured, and I, and I carried it with me all the time. At that point, I was I was chasing after a, a relationship that just wasn't wasn't the one for me. But again, it was like chasing for, for the higher level, you know, the higher ground, which I figured it was at that point, you know. And uh, and I thought, great, maybe this relationship's going to come together. Yeah. Maybe the money I need in my life is going to come in. That's what I figured she was, because that's all I wanted at that point. Without all those goals, you know, I wasn't thinking right my life is just going to become i'm going to go on a spiritual journey you know i didn't even want i wouldn't have wanted that to be honest with you at that point i wanted the quick fix in my life you know and i was hoping that's what it would be so that's what i figured you know although interestingly enough she did say you know but um you will be protected but i just thought okay and i still didn't take that too seriously i just figured let's just let's just hope this this all comes together that i'm yeah. looking, I'm, I'm hoping for but of course i realized uh, a lot further down the line that that's it wasn't what she was talking about at all it was nothing to do with the material gains uh, that was 
I was looking for um, or no, that relationship exactly. that I was chasing after. So I just want to acknowledge quickly for people watching online, um, there are a few people on the multidimensional evolution page. If this is, this has been shared, I think to a couple of other places, if you would like to ask questions of David, that'll be possible, but please come to the multidimensional evolution page and write them there because that's the only place I'm going to be checking. Um, and there's a few people here just acknowledging Selena La Pearl saying hello and good morning. Rebecca Richards saying hi. Chantal hi. Snyder saying good morning. And Lucy Florence says good morning. Thank you so much for sharing your story, David. I'm so inspired by you. Oh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, you're welcome. It's yeah. a pleasure. <laughs> That's nice to know. Um, Okay, so I think this sort of takes us also now to the to the the point really of the accident, mm. and I guess for people who haven't um, read the book uh, or even read your story, right, because it was reported in the in the media in the UK, in the Guardian, and I think on the BBC and so on. Um, maybe you could just briefly summarise. I'm sure you've done this a thousand times by now, but just briefly outline what happened on that day. You know, how did you mm. end up under the train? Okay. Um, well, I was, I was back in, in Cambridgeshire again, um, uh, staying at my sister's. This, this is when I really hit rock bottom, um, you know, and it was getting pretty, pretty desperate. Um, she said, you, you need to come and hang out with us for a few weeks. I did do. And, um, I just just before leaving London, I'd met somebody uh, who I just connected with really well, um, a person called Anna, and um, she said we kept kept in touch on the phone while I was up there. She came to visit anyway for for a few days, and so she got to get back to London. Um, um, so I said, "Well, I'll, I'll take you to the station." So we arrived at the rail station, and um, I helped her onto the train with her bags and um, what have you, and then gave her a kiss and a hug to say goodbye. And um, then we heard the emergency buzzers going off. So I stepped back, and as I did, the bottom corner of my coat got trapped in, in the automatic closing doors. And uh, I just couldn't pull it free. It was well in there, you know. So I turned around and looked for a guard to see if a guard might come in and help out. And there, there was no guard, you know. It, it was just, um, it, there was no one there, basically. So I just shouted, you know, for help, hoping somebody would come through. And nobody did. So I was like banging on the windows, hoping that one would run through the, the carriage, but nothing happened. The engine started to start rev up, and uh, I remember just looking into Anna's eyes, and I just saw the absolute terror in her in her face, and I just thought, "This is it, you know, I'm, I'm going to die." Um, and then the train just started. Go on, sorry. I was going to say the first thing my daughter asked when I told her this story is, "Why didn't he take his coat off?" Ah, well, interestingly enough, it, it was it was um it was a very good quality sheepskin coat that I'd inherited, and I was wearing that that day, and and I'd got like a sort of you know some jumper like this underneath whatever you know like a warm one, so th there was no way I'd I'd get it off because it was like a tight fit, you know what I mean, because yeah. of this sheepskin lining. So it was just uh, if it had been a nice silky lining then yes no worries i would have done that i mean i thought everything through but there's, in fact a guy 
There was only one other person on the platform who was seeing off his girlfriend and he stood there and he was going, take your coat off, mate, take it off, you know. I remember that, that voice really well and I just, it's not going to happen. And by that point, the train had already started pulling out anyhow, you know, and uh, it was edging down the platform and it pulled out at tremendous speed. You know, you don't realise just how fast they accelerate out of, out of a station when you sat on one, but... When you're on the outside, it's a different, and you're attached to it, it's yeah. a different story. <laughs> it's a very different feeling. <laughs> yes. So I was pulled along, I lost my footing, and um, and uh, I went, I got pulled along the, the platform, I was dragged for some time, and then I got pulled between the space with the platform edge and the actual train itself, and then I went down, and then uh, I just got pulled right down into what felt like the, the gates of hell. Yes. And it was down, and I was just thrown away, tossed around all like a rag doll. I was just thrown from pillar to post, and I was banging my head, I was banging everything. It was just a very violent experience. And um, and then I, I suddenly found myself laid between the tracks, and the, and the train was, it was a long train, so it seemed to go on forever. And it was just hurtling ahead over, over me. I could hear it, you know, it was just... And not over me physically, but you know, it's just like I could hear it whoo, kind of flying down the track. And uh, so I just kept my face right down into the gravel because I knew that it wasn't all over. I knew that the could your part of the undercarriage could just come and whack me around the back of the head, and that would be it. it would, you know, that would that would be the end of me. Um, so I did do. And then the train eventually moved on down the track, and off it went. And just uh, this, you know, this. It just, the darkness and the sand just kind of just seemed to slowly disperse off down the track, and I thought, "Wow, what happened there?" You know. <laughs> yeah, and then you know there is a passage in the book where you describe looking up and seeing the sky, and mm. um, I actually thought that was going to be the that was the start of the near death experience. The way you described that, right? Yeah. There's the clarity and the blues and the stillness, <laughs> and you're in such shock, mm. so none of the pain has kicked in yet. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It, it's it was a moment of um, oh, I guess it was just you know because I I'd gone straight into survival mode when the whole thing happened. You know, it's interesting that I I had time to think things through in my mind how I was going to survive this. You know, and uh, and I was still in. So once the trailer moved on, it was a question of like, wow, I'm alive. You know. Um, you know, my adrenaline obviously was gone to a high level of rush. And so I was just kind of like, and when I say adrenaline rush, I don't mean in a nice way, in a, in a, in a very sort of like, wow. You know, the, and once it had moved on, just the calmness that overcame me was, was remarkable. And I just remember looking up at the sky. It was, a, it was a February day and it was a beautiful, cold, blue sky, you know, and it was just like, I just looked up at it and I thought, wow, look at that sky. You know, I was just so glad to be alive. It's just so, it was, so I guess it was just that moment of, you know, letting yeah. out a huge breath and appreciating the nature around me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fact that you were alive and the fact that you were essentially, you know, you hadn't been torn, nothing had been torn off you fully. Uh, I'm not quite sure mm. exactly. I think there's some, some quite severe damage to your arm, right? Yeah, yeah. My left arm was, I mean, that was torn. That was like severed from the elbow down, but it was okay. just still, so that was pretty bad. That's what, that's because I obviously checked my injuries and once I'd looked at the sky. And, yeah. uh, and, but even at that point, that's quite interesting because I, I noticed that my, I mean, this, 
the sheepskin coat, the one I talked about, the quality coat that was now ripped to shreds, you know, especially down the left-hand arm. So I thought I looked at that, but also my arm was ripped to shreds as well. And I could see, you know, like the workings of my arm. And rather than go into a state of, of, of you know, wow, my goodness, what's happened to me? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's interesting. You know, we all do it when we, we can cut ourselves, you know, just you know, in the kitchen or whatever. We go, oh, my goodness, look at that. You know, whereas, like, when I saw what had happened to me, rather than go into a state of that or shock or panic, I was actually just, like, looking at that sky. I was totally sort of, like, transfixed by being i was looking at my arm i was going wow that's me inside that's the workings of my arm that's how that's every, i could see every single sort of um, you know tendon and stuff and I, and I found that quite fascinating and beautiful to look at and so it was quite odd so there was a sense of something and something was happening was was protecting me even at that point because i i, I know on hindsight now that that something very powerful and spiritual had protected me to, to survive that accident, you know, so, yeah. and, you know, I was told it was a power animal later on uh, that had survived me, but which is really great. I, I love the idea of that. But um, anyway, so I just think that I was, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment as much as it was a very sort of traumatic one, which is quite odd. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing to think of that as a beautiful moment. Right. And maybe that was kind of the, um, because it was the opening then of the, what was to come in a sense, right? It was yeah, kind of the, the introduction. So um, I can't quite remember the, the details, but I, you know, you went to hospital. Um, That's right. You yeah. were essentially out of, like, I think you were, it was clear that you were going to survive. I think there wasn't then at that stage, I'm not quite sure. I didn't get the sense that there well, was a sense that you would die at that stage anymore. I, I, well, I mean, I don't, I don't actually know because, I mean, what I do remember is because they, 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 once they got me into the hospital, I remember arriving in the hospital and seeing and like this team of, of medics um, uh, waiting for me and nurses and what have you, doctors. And, and I, I just remember the, the lying in the emergency department and, and um, just hearing all these guys, all these voices going over my head very frantically trying to save me. And I, I was told afterwards that I was losing copious amounts of blood. Right. And, um, and I think, so the blood loss was, was a worry. Yeah. Um, and to them, you know, so, um, um, but, and interestingly enough, my family had arrived. I it was just, they'd arrived at the hospital and I don't know how they got there so quick other than I know that I found out afterwards that Anna, uh, immediately phoned my sister and um, to tell her what had happened. And, and, uh, and, so, um, so they got there, they were at the hospital. So they, the, the, the consultant, the, the surgeon who was in charge of the whole operation, he just started working at the hospital and he was this amazing guy. And, uh, he, he, he was really good and he was really keen to sort of, uh, save my arm. Cause I asked him, I begged him, I said, will you save my arm? You know, I'm a guitarist. I play, I play in, you know, in bands and stuff like that. So he said, yeah, yes. I, I, and he honored that. He, 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 he went through with that. But anyway, um, he said, look, your family are here. Can you, can you see any of them? Do you want to see any of them? I said, yeah, just send them all through. And so they came in and I remember just lying on this trolley and all this franticness going on and just chatting to them and, you know, my mother in tears and stuff. And it was interesting because I was turning around to her saying, mom, it's always me. I'm always, bringing all the dramas to this family. So it was me messing up, you know, she was going, no, stop, you know, so obviously mm. she was just glad that I was alive, but um, there you go. That's, that's, um, that's where it was at. So, so yeah. Um, 
there was there was there was obviously a, a, a concern um yeah the okay so so what i what i really appreciate and i was just going to read um how you kind of the last things that you wrote before you then describe your your out-of-body experience your your near-death experience mm -hmm. um and it's like you go over you, you know you talk about uh everything that you've messed up and all your failures and all that kind of passes through you and then you say, so I closed my eyes and let go. I guess you could say I surrendered. That was what it felt like in the moment. Total and complete surrender, as though I'd let go of the side of the sinking boat and slipped beneath the surface of the waves to let my lungs begin to fill with water. And that was when all the noise of the room, of the room died out and the pain disappeared and there was silence and stillness. And then I realized I was no longer in the emergency department because I opened my eyes and found myself in another world entirely. Mm. And so then I thought you could talk us through yeah, what, I can, what, I can what talk you did through that, of course. Yeah. Well, I'd gone from from uh, yeah from that franticness to a very peaceful place. Uh, it felt like I was I was in a in a darkened room to start with, and but when I say a darkened room, like in a very peaceful darkened space, and. Uh, I looked around me and I could see like the, there were like these orbs that, that were like sort of flashing beautiful colors, um, sort of, of yellows, ambers and, and reds. And these orbs were making me feel very calm and peaceful. And, uh, and I just, I just figured at that point that I'd, I'd passed over that I was dead, you know, and, uh, um, and I just thought, wow, this is it. This is this. Well, I thought, where am I? First of all, but this is this is an amazing place. And I was just, I was quite resigned to the whole thing, you know, uh, as as you as you just read the passage. And so, um, so the anxiety and just slipped straight straight out of me. And I'm, I, I was lying there, and I thought, what am I? Where am I? What? And I've, I looked around me, and I I, I realised I was no longer lay on the the hospital trolley that I'd been on, but I was now lay out on on a huge slate rock almost like a big medieval altar if you like and uh, it was interesting because it, it felt really comfortable to lie on because i suddenly realized that i wasn't clothed anymore but it didn't matter i just felt very comfortable lying on this big rock and um i remember checking my wounds i thought how's my how's my body looking and i looked and everything was healed everything was back in place there was no there was not even the, the slightest cut or bruise everything just looked absolutely as as it was before the accident and and i then noticed that i was covered in this like this blue sort of satin sort of silk kind of sheet it was like a really beautiful cooling experience to have this sheet covering me and i felt very uh, very comforted by that and um I, I felt there was a presence i felt somebody was there and i and i looked and suddenly at my feet i realized there was and there was this androgynous being just stood there staring at me and this being it was it was almost lit from inside like the, the the skin of this being was just glowing and um it was just the, the, the androgynous being was wearing like a very contemporary sort of simple black t-shirt and was just smiling at me with like a knowing smile and a comforting smile. And I felt like I was um, being cared for. I felt like completely under the care of this, of this being, but not only that, 
I felt like I'd known this androgynous being throughout the whole of my life and beyond. And, uh, you know, it was just, the connection was very strong. It was like... Did you have any interpretation of who who it was? Um, it was interesting because I, I felt like not only had I known this being... I, I physically there was something about the face that I felt I know your face so well you know it's there was a, the and uh and I couldn't work it out where from and, and I remember that the, the hair was this, this kind of very very light sort of um, white blonde if you like sort of hair and and I just figured that this being was 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 my my higher self if you like my high higher sort of my soulmate my my higher consciousness and um you know, it was very much a part of me. I didn't feel like it was another person, and uh, you know, it, it was an, another. You know, it, it was it was a very much a part of me. It was a pers- a personal, as I say, high consciousness. That's what I figure it is. Yeah. Um, so, I, I I laid my head back, and as I was lying there, I um, I looked up, and there were like three grids of white light that were just slowly closing in on me, and these three grids of white light were emanating this this it was like a comforting glow and i it was so bright that normally i wouldn't be able to look into that kind of light you know electrical or sunlight even you know but i could in fact i couldn't take my gaze away from it because it was so comforting and i felt that it was healing me even though i knew that every part of my body was still intact um i i felt that it was just taking away all those years of anxiety that I'd suffered, you know, and all those years of failure were all just dis- dis- dispersing from me. You know, it was fantastic. Um, then I suddenly felt the presence of two other beings either side of me. And I looked and there was two female forms and to my, and they had their hands slowly hovering over my body. And I looked at them. The one on the right was, was kind of like, um, um, sort of, um, white cohesion european looking and uh, and the, the one to my left was more uh american indian asian indian um in, in in her appearance and she was like this again they just had these lovely smiles on their faces they weren't looking at me but they were just kind of like emanating this love that was coming from them that's the one thing i'd say was coming from all three of these beings of light was this sense of unconditional love that, that they were giving to me and by the time their hands were going over my body it was almost like reiki healing in a sense uh, but they were not touching me at all but the energy that was coming from their hands just felt like love it just felt like um i felt like they were healing my soul you know my 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 soul that had been battered throughout all the years mm. so um yeah it's yeah that was, that was really beautiful but uh, you going back to what you were saying before, you know about about the first being of light. That that was definitely a different connection with them. The the, the two female forms. I didn't feel like I'd known them before. I didn't. Okay. They, they weren't familiar to me, but I knew that they were just. I felt what well, I felt like I was being prepared for something. Basically, at that point, I thought, "What are they doing? Where am I going next? You know, what are they? It was just like a moment of being cleansed, which which exactly is what was going on. You know, they were cleansing. Cleansing mm. my soul. So, and um, um, you know, I remember you say in your, you talk in your book about the fact that you kind of, as you, I think you just said, you thought, well, this is probably it. You know, I'm probably 
dying now and yeah. they're preparing me to move on to the next stage or something. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting how you, you talk about how peaceful you felt, even when you thought about your family and the people you loved here, mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a sense of upset that you would be separated from them because you felt that, yeah. you know, it was all going to work out. Right. Totally. Well, well, it was. It wasn't just a question of that. It was a question that uh, um, all the anxiety of, and guilt. I mean, to be honest with you, throughout my life, guilt was like my middle name. You know, I just carried that around because I just felt like such a failure. And I, like I said, in going back to the hospital, I was apologising to my mother. You know, for yeah. being pulled under a train, even though it wasn't my fault. You know, so all that is gone. So i realize now that for, for all of us when when we do pass on and go on to the next stage after death that we leave all our anxieties and baggage that we carry around with us throughout our whole lives all that gets left behind so that's what had happened with me all that feeling of guilt and and, and worry and anxiety was all left behind and um yeah you, you're right to point that out i mean what one of the the first things I did think about, but it wasn't out of um, panic, was I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I could see my family because I knew how distraught they were. I thought they're going to be really distraught now because clearly I'm dead. You know, they're going to be stood next to my dead body. So I figured that I might be able to see them. So I thought I'd look over the edge of this this big um, altar that I was lay on, and um, and I looked over my left hand shoulder. I remember, and as I looked down. I didn't actually see them in the hospital, but what I did see them was this incredible sight, which is like a beautiful waterfall of stars. It was like a, a massive sort of vast sort of like Niagara Falls style waterfall, but it was just stars that were cascading down. And, yeah, that um, sounds incredible. And I just figured, yeah, well, I figured at that point, then I knew I wasn't in a small darkened room at all. I was actually in the universe itself, you know. And uh, these stars were just... Oh, it's a beautiful sight. Yeah, it just I was just filled with elation, and I and as I looked, I tried to look down, and the further I looked, the further I could realize that they were going dropping down into galaxies and into other galaxies and in right in other universes or whatever, yeah, into infinity basically. And uh, there's beautiful colors as well down there that I, I never thought existed in space, you know. And um, so yeah, so that was that was really remarkable. Um, so I just pulled my head back over, smiling to myself, and I just said, yeah, okay, well, I can't see my family now, but I'm sure I will be seeing them soon. But if I don't, they're going to be experiencing all this at one point. So they're going to be fine. They're going to be cool. You know, so there was no sense of concern or worry. So it was a beautiful feeling. So I, I, I knew that as well. I knew that had all gone as I, as I lay there. I thought, wow. I'm not feeling that anymore. That's amazing. Yes. Mm. So it was a, a beautiful um, thing to lose all that. Just, um, it was, yeah, it was wonderful. So, yeah, it's um, it um, is, it, it, sorry. No, no. Well, I, know, I mean, the thing that I like about your story as well is that, you know, in that moment you'd lost all those things, right? You'd lost all the guilt and you'd lost all the, 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 the need to please others and all that, right? You were filled with peace. But then when you come back, it becomes, you know, it takes time for this to filter through in the physical life, right? The, the, those patterns are yeah. still there. And then, yeah. 
like we said before, Irene helps you to work with that and probably joy as well. We'll talk about joy in a sec. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, uh, I mean, I mean, basically as I also, the faith helped me as well, because at that moment, as I did turn myself over from thinking about the family, I, I was, aware of a, a presence of something that was drawing in close to me that was there was uh, a lot more powerful than the love that had been coming through from the three beings at this point and I, that's when i noticed um a very strong white light that was drawing in close towards me and i looked at this light and it was like it was like the, a tunnel of white light basically and and it was huge and it was surrounded by these kind of swirling flames that were just slowly circling around the light and and as that light drew in towards me, the energy that was coming from it was just sending these vibrations through my body, if you like. And I felt like every single molecule of me was just resonating from this energy. Um, and I knew instantly that this was the source of all creation. This was God. You know, this was not, you know, the Michelangelo um guy with a beard you know on the, on the ceiling of the vatican in rome this is this is um this was this was it this is where it all comes from so that also helped me as well because it for the first time in my life it gave me faith you know that you know that there was there was there was a god and there was <laughs> you know that's I don't know. So that's that. That was that was very important point in in, in my near death experience. Uh, so uh, that helped me as well to sort of carry me through. The, the, Are you saying the, that helped? Has helped you since? That's helped you since you've come back. Yeah, helped help me since. Yeah, because obviously when I came back um, and I was back into my physical body, you know, I I was I got this kind of balance going on. The part of me was completely. I was like, wow, you know, I got this energy that was just like still charged throughout the whole of my being and throughout my soul. But I'd still got to deal with what had happened to me physically, that, that I'd just been through the most horrific sort of accident. And I had to process that as well. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I, I'd suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's no, you know, the, the mind and the body should not have to go through something so horrific as that. So, Absolutely. Um, so you know, so it's... it's inevitable that that would happen i was going to ask uh, you how are you now with trains and so on is that is that been yeah it's yeah that's that's yeah there's something that i was really keen to sort of uh, deal with in fact that's one of the things that i wanted to deal with in my therapy sessions was because i was told i'd never be able to drive again and so i thought well i'm just i'm just kind of isolated now then because that means that i can't take a train and i can't drive how am i going to go and visit people you know my friends in london and what have you and so I was keen. I, I couldn't even face going back to the, the car park in the actual rail station where it all happened to start with. You know, I'd start mm. having freaking out. You know, and so, oh, just get me out of here. But eventually we did it bit by bit and, and we got me to the through the doorway onto the platform. Then we go onto the platform. And then eventually I would take a train. Um, in fact, the very first time I took a train was with my brother in law. Uh, who commutes to London every day, and it was crazy because um, we took the the commuter train was packed, so we just got straight on it with a whole huddle of people, and we were stood there, you know, we couldn't even get a seat, you know, because that's how it is in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> and 
everybody said, you're mad. Why did you take a train at that point of the day? And I said, I don't know. It's just that my brother-in-law said, offered to take me and said, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. So, and we never really thought it through. But I said, you know what? In retrospect, that was probably the best thing for me to do because if I'd just gone there to, uh, on an empty platform, I would have had too much time to process it all. But we got on anyway. So to, to cut a long story short, that was the first journey. And then eventually I just kept going and going at it. And it got easier and easier as time got on. So now I'm able to take trains. Yeah, I don't enjoy it. I, the bit I don't enjoy is pulling out of um, stations, you know, because that's when yeah. I think about it. You know, I just I get that sensation again from the inside of the carriage. It's not as bad, obviously, but I think, oh, wow, you know, but and stepping over the gap onto the train but anyway that you know that that's it's dealt with but, and yeah, i can actually drive again now as well so <laughs> sorry you found ways to work with it right i to found ways it. to work with it and i was determined yeah I, there's one thing that I, I i did come back with was was a new sense of um of this um fan courage and determination to to overcome things and do it and uh yeah, well, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about that because it really sounds like you came back almost instantaneously with a sense of purpose, right? You, mm. um, very quickly that that emerged, um, and mm. it first found its expression in your desire to paint. So you know, maybe so. What I got from the book was that you had this strong desire to paint, and that's right. Yeah, I. I I, I don't know, was there something more formulated in your mind? Like, I need to convey this to people. This is really yeah, important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, maybe you could talk about that a bit. Well, the, right from the off, I remember the, the very first night when I was, uh, they'd given me my own room in the hospital. And uh, my sister came in to visit me the very next night and she was chatting. And I could, I could hardly move, you know, I was just laying there with all these tubes coming out of me. And she said, as she left, she said, is there anything I can get you? And I said, yeah, can you get me a small sketch pad and a pencil? And she went, okay, you know. <laughs> and uh, she obliged, which was great. And she turned up with it. And the nurses propped me up in bed. And I, I was scared at that point that I was going to forget everything that had happened. And, of course, I never have. But then I knew nothing about near-death experiences. In fact, I thought at that point I was the only person that had actually had this happen, you know. And I thought I've right. got to tell the whole world about it, you know. And so I... From the from the off, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do a painting. I'm gonna do a huge painting, like like a Michelangelo style Renaissance painting, because I thought it's got to be big so that I can get the whole story across to everybody. So I'd already decided I was going to do it, and it was there was no sense of like, oh, can I do it? Or oh, I can't do that. There was no sense of self doubt. I knew I was going to do it right from the off, and so. I kept that. I've still got that little sketch. I can, you can barely see it because it was so faint because I was so weak at the time. But it's all, it's it was the sketch was the very first painting that I did basically. And uh, so, um, I my my aunt came over from from Canada to visit at that point, and uh, I was talking all about it. And so she went out and she bought she paid for a canvas for me, and we got this nice big canvas. I got it leaning against the wall, you know, at my sister's where I was recovering at the time. And I was putting it off, in all fairness, because I thought I was nervous of starting it. I was apprehensive, I should say. Because you hadn't painted and, um, before, right? It wasn't a art No, form. that's right. It, yeah. That's right. When I was younger, I, was, I, I enjoyed drawing and stuff at school, and I really did. But because, again, because of um, my dyslexia, I failed all my academics, so I wasn't able to really 
figure that I could take that any further. So I'd forgotten all about that. So I'd never done anything like that at all. Never done any huge canvases like I'm doing now, you know. And uh, but it didn't bother me. I just thought, no, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. This is this is I want to I want to be able to open this window to everybody and say, this is how it looks. This is what I saw and this is what I experienced. And um, and that's exactly what I did. I, I um, some friends of my sisters. Uh, dropped around and, and they were saying how's it going you know and I said yeah have you started that painting yet and I said no and they said well look we they they run and still do they run like a yoga pilates center and uh, they very kindly said look we've got a room in our attic that a studio which is not being used this week uh, you can come and paint it there thinking that I'd knock it out in a week and stuff and of course I didn't but by the end of the week they turned around and said look you can carry on, you know. I said, but I thought you needed the space back. I said, no, we'll work around you. And I ended up staying there for two years. <laughs> so I was prolific. I was just doing all these different paintings. And uh, and it was brilliant because people would come into the centre, um, you know, for yoga and Pilates sessions. And uh, they would come up. You know, I was I became known as the artist in the attic, you know. And they'd come up and look at my work and I'd talk about it. And people, I found then it was a brilliant, I'd already started talking about my experience uh, very freely to these people and people were interested and I thought this is great people want to know about this yeah so yeah <laughs> well I think there's something uh, particularly powerful about somebody who's had because as you've since discovered right many people have near-death experiences um, but there's not as many that are as well documented in terms of the actual accident and as dramatic as the accident that that you've okay. had perhaps um, but did you have, I, I gather since then you have done some research, you've read or, or found out about other people who've had you mm. know, experiences and maybe other, yeah. I don't know, have you been drawn to other kinds of lines of, um, you know, philosophy or ideas around uh, spiritual life, multidimensional life, um, out-of-body experiences, those kinds of things? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was more fascinated to find out a bit of, Obviously, as I say, I, I thought I was the only person it happened to. So, but I went straight online once I was b- back at uh, recuperating at my sister's, and I started looking up, um, and I discovered the, the phrase "near death experience." And uh, and I, the first one I came across actually was this a young girl. She must have been about seven or eight years old, and she'd had a near death experience, you know. And so, and she'd done like this little sort of child's drawing of what had happened to her it, it was absolutely amazing because i remember i called my sister into the room and i said come and look at this this, this was at the stage where i'd already started my own painting and and she and i explained the whole thing to my sister and i said look at this and she said she welled up with tears she said oh my goodness that's just like everything that you told me and it was this basic stick girl there you know with a triangular dress on or whatever oh, it's actually not a dress because she got like a she'd drawn like the blue sort of cover over herself like a square blue cover and there was like three figures all around her with their arms out with these stick arms and then the most significant thing was is this it looked like an ice an ice cream cone like flying through the sky or a comet and i thought wow it's almost identical it's like it was like a you know this it was brilliant and it was really moving i've never got well i've still got it i've never forgotten it It's, it's a beautiful drawing but I did go, I looked, I looked, I came across um, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, who I knew nothing about at that stage. And I saw that he'd done research into near-death experiences since the 1970s or 60s even. You know, I thought, wow, 
this guy sounds good. So um, I thought I'd, this was a bit later on once I'd finished my first painting. And I s- emailed him with the painting. And uh, he got back and he said, this is great. This is a really brilliant sort of uh, painting of the afterlife. And uh, But it was just a few sentences, really, nothing more, you know, and I left it at that. Yeah. Um, but um, I since the book um, has been, since I've been promoting the book, I've been doing a lot, I've been meeting a lot more people in the near-death experience community. In fact, I, I went on to meet, uh, uh, Dr. Moody, uh, he, he came into my life later on because when I was actually writing it, before I'd even got it published, in fact, I thought I'm going to write to him again and uh, see if he'd be interested in reading my book and see what he figures. And uh, so I did do I sent an email, and this time I didn't hear anything for a couple of months. So I thought, okay. He, I realized by that point that he's, he's a very big figure in, in the near-death experience. But he coined the phrase near-death experience, yes. you know. So, yeah. So I heard nothing, but I thought nothing of it. And then one day I got a, uh, an email off his manager, and, uh, um, uh, and she turned around to me and said, oh, I've just come across this email. She said this is – she'd seen the website. She'd seen the trailer that I put together. And she said, this looks amazing. She said, I think Dr. Moody really wants to – would love to read this book. Can you send it? So I did do. And he did read it, and he loved it. And so uh, she got back to me, and she said, yeah, um, Raymond – really likes your book he thinks it's fantastic and uh she said i think he's gonna um you know uh, sort of um write an acknowledgement for, for the book because i knew nothing about it at that stage i said oh that sounds great you know and then she got back later that day and said no actually he wants to write the forward and which i knew what a forward was i said that'd be brilliant so yeah so he wrote this wonderful forward yeah it's for lovely book. it's a really lovely yeah acknowledgement. It, it is isn't it yeah mm. So that now, means an awful lot to me. Yeah, I can imagine, especially <laughs> after, you know, I, I have. To, we don't really have to talk about that anymore because I we've already covered it in a way. But I, I had just made some more notes about you know your self doubt and this thing about nobody will believe you and so on. And we actually have a you know that was a, things that came up for you as you were you know you're worried about your brother not believing you and other people and, and very hesitant yeah. in the beginning of sharing. And we actually have a sure. question here that relates. Um, so just again, anybody watching on Facebook, um, my name is Kim and I'm talking to David about his near-death experience. Um, if you would like to ask questions, please, if you're somewhere else, pop over to Multidimensional Evolution page and ask them there. And um, there's a question here from Melina Mitsugiani saying, hello, David, thank you for sharing your story. I would like to ask, did you ever doubt yourself and the authenticity of your experience? Were there moments when you thought you might have imagined it rather than lived it, as materialist neuroscience would claim? Hmm. That's, a, that's a great question. And, uh, and the answer is no, I never have done. Uh, it never, ever entered my, my thought process um, because the whole near-death experience itself is as real as where we're all sat here now uh, talking. It's, it's as real as me looking around the room I'm in. It's a different dimension, so it's completely different. Uh, but um, unlike a, a, a dream state or what have you, it's it's um, you know dreams are very confused and and uh, chaotic. Whereas like the near death experience was was incredibly um, how can I put it, it was like a ultra 
ultra real and and logical you know so it it was it, it was it's like it happened it, it did happen to me so so i never doubted it for one minute you know obviously i figured that there'd be plenty of people that probably would doubt it and probably still do but in fact i haven't found that too much so that's great a lot of people have been um not you know sort of crossing me too much on it but yeah mm. I've never, I've never really, I've never really, and, and I did look into it as well. I wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know, the, the scientific angle is really important to me as well, because I, you know, scientists are looking into near-death experiences. As we, so I'm glad, you know, I wanted to, I wanted that to happen. And I've done a few interviews where I've been on the radio where scientists have been on. So we've been having discussions about it, if you like. So that that's, so yeah. So I'm glad that it's been looked into. And, uh, and I realized that, for example, when I wrote the book, um, I wanted to get the medical records um, from the hospital to look at the medication that I was on at the time of the actual accident when they got me off the track, got me in the ambulance and got me in. And, and it's all timed, all the stuff that I was taking. And uh, a friend of mine um, who lectures in nursing said, let me look at the stuff. And she looked through it. And obviously, uh, you know, she got back and said, yeah, you know, the, the medication that you were given would not have been hallucinogenic, you know, so, um, so I, that was, that was kind of like not confirmation, but affirmation, if you like. Yeah. 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 And also I, you know, you, it's interesting to note in your book, you've got at the end, you've got a few testimonials. Um, you had somebody interview your, your occupational therapist and I think, mm. you know, your parents and so other people that were close to you at the time to kind of document yeah. Um, the changes in you, right, and how there seemed to be something that was unusual for someone who had just been through such a traumatic accident, that there were these certain aspects that suggested that you really were connected to something yes, that gave you yes. a peace and a strength and a purpose yeah. and all those. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was, it was a great idea doing that. Um, again, I didn't know what they were going to say because, you know, I, wouldn't, I never sat down and really asked them those questions directly so who knows you know what they were going to say but um it was it was great and uh, i was uh, incredibly moved by a lot of the responses actually because there were more um i realized that more people were noticing that change within me uh my parents i remember you know they they really my mother uh she um well, she said in the hospital, I remember my mother, when I first told my parents about it, um, they, my parents are both Christian. So I kind of thought is this, it took me a while to tell them, I thought, because it's probably going to jar with their faith. You know, it's not going to fit in with their teachings or what have you, you know, from the church. Um, but when I did tell them, I remember my mother turned around. It was almost like a, it was a lovely moment, which I'll never forget, because it was like a mother's instinct almost. She turned around and said, we know. And I said, how do you know? She said, well, we were, whenever we come into this room that you're in in the hospital you're lying there with all these tubes coming at you and you've got nurses around you but you're glowing with this energy and you're just kind of giving out this like you're caring for others around you which which is lovely that she, she said that and noticed that but also my my occupational therapist that you talked about um sarah she's she was amazing because she was very much there right from the start you know we worked together a lot because she had to help me sort of physically recuperate and we got to know each other so she was very much a part of watching me so it was great interviewing her because obviously she's a she's a scientist if you like she's working in the hospital and she's working with many many people who've had horrible traumatic accidents you know there's lots of people who've been in motorway accidents and stuff so she's used to dealing with all sorts so 
she could quite easily have determined and said, yeah, you know, he's a regular guy. A lot where I see people all the time come in and, you know, and, but no, she was very, again, she was very animated with her response and I found her reply really moving. And so, uh, so that, so that was, so it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've got some, I've got about three quotes here by, um, by Irene. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them, although I, I really like the way um, she talked about your need to deal with your post-traumatic stress and with your reasons that were behind your drinking. And I should really kept it strongly kind of, you know, we've really talked about that, right? Um, practical and, and down to earth in, in that sense. Um, but then I guess I would, the passage, one of the passages I will read is where she talks about if you experience unconditional love, so this is when you're feeling, you're still feeling quite a lot of self-doubt and, and worthiness, right? Your own worthiness issues around your brother. Yeah. If you experience unconditional love, which you say you did, then perhaps it's a perfect lesson for you. Maybe you were exactly the right person because your challenge in life is to bring back some of the unconditional love into your life now and show other people who are struggling with similar issues that it is possible to do so. And so I guess I was curious, you know, have you found ways to draw on this unconditional love, to connect with it in those moments of doubt, to presence it perhaps around other people who who see struggling, you know, have you found ways to, to bring that into your life? Yeah, um, I have actually. Um, what I do is I, I connect with, with what I call my guides, my spirit guides. And I, firmly believe that we've all got those um, that work with us and I firmly believe that I'd got the, these guides working throughout the whole of my life previous but I just hadn't connected with that um, side of it at all um, so you know I'm, th- there are times when I struggle when things aren't going right for me and then then you know I, I instantly call upon my guides I don't feel afraid to to pray for them and ask for their help, whatever, even if it's the smallest thing. I said, look, can you help me through this one? You know, it's not like, say, a lot of faiths, um, you go in there feeling like you're not worthy, you know. It, interestingly enough, the, the one time I did pray before my, my accident was when I really hit the actual absolute bottom, and I, and I remember putting my hands together and just praying. I didn't even know who I was praying to or, or what, but it, 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 when I did pray, Half of me was going, please help me. But another half of me was saying, putting my hand up saying, but I'm not worthy, you know. Yes. I deserved everything that's gone wrong. Whereas now I don't do that. I don't have a sense of like, I'm not worthy and, and it's all my fault. I'm a mess. And it's not like I'm, yeah, I'm humble when I, when I pray. because I'm, But only in the way that I'd be humble to, say, any single person that was was being caring and looking after me, uh, that kind of humbleness. And it, it, so it's, it's, it's um, a lot of that unconditional love. Is, I, I try and tap into that by, by um, yeah, sending, sending out prayers when I need to. But, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, especially at the moment, that um, um, doing interviews and talking about my near-death experience, once I start talking about it and more people want to listen to it, then it's, it is helping others. People get in touch with me saying, you know, we've just lost a loved one. I've lost my wife or my mother. And what you had to say has really helped me through. So that, that is really wonderful. That's lovely because 
that has been my ultimate goal right from the very off, actually, because I, I wondered what my purpose was. I thought, why have they sent me back? Why did I just have that amazing experience and then come back? And, you know, I think everyone I've met who's who's had near-death experiences has that thing is, is at the beginning is like, what's my purpose, you know? Mm. So, yeah. So I, I hopefully, I mean, I say that hopefully because, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be able to try and give out as much as I can to people in terms of taking away that anxiety issue that we yeah. all cloud ourselves with, you know. And I, I'm curious, so, I mean, that, so there's that desire to give, which is so, so common for people who develop a sense of spiritual purpose in life. Um, yeah. Now you talk about how you're now open to you know, ask for support and ask for assistance from your guides. Has yeah. that also translated into asking to assistance from the people in your life? Because that's a theme that plays out in your book where sometimes I go, just ask, because, you know, you have these resistance around asking your brother and asking people, um, uh, so I was curious whether that's also been a space where you've kind of relaxed more into allowing people to help you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That. I'd have to ask them if they feel that, that they've noticed a change in that, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a definite shift in my own character that, that from the person I was before, you know. So um, so I really hope that that's the case. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I try to. I try to sort of you know, be more open and, and, uh, for, for help and, and try and let that in. And because it's also giving credit to, to other people as well. If you're doing that, you, the people feel it's a feel good factor for them and for, for all of us, isn't it? You know, if you're helping somebody and you know, you've just given somebody, a, you've just helped somebody out. It's a great feeling. So yeah, exactly. I, 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 allowing I people to help us is actually kind to them as well. Right. It's exactly. Yeah. The that's, flow that's of life. It. Yeah. So, yeah. so it is. I mean, I, I do know fundamentally that that um, I'm not the person I was before. You know, but, you know. I remember that people have said to me now they they talk about how I was before. You know, and and you know, you know, friends of mine are, they were turning around trying to help me and advise me at that point, saying, "Look, you're drinking too heavily, or you, what, you know, you shouldn't be in this relationship, or what have you." And they remind me now that I would turn around and say, yeah, don't worry about me. You know, yes. one of them said to me, you use the phrase, I'm a big boy, don't worry about it, you know. And that's how I was, like, it's kind of like, that was like pulling down this shutter saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. But I I know that I'm definitely not like that now. So it's yeah. just, you know, so I'm more, more open to to getting in touch with my feelings most certainly. And so in that case, that means I'm more open to letting other people in as well so yeah yeah I, yeah. yeah I do yeah all right so there's a couple more questions here one uh I was going to ask as well so this is from Paul Moran uh asking whether you've had any um lucid dreams or out-of-body experiences since that near-death experience so do you still maintain a connection you know when you go and, and I was actually also curious whether you might practice something like when you go to sleep do you focus your you know kind of evoke that place well, evoke those beings um yeah i i don't have yeah I, I had a lot of lucid dreams but that was to do with the post-traumatic stress so but then but i had never i've not really had any out-of-body experiences actually what i was what i will say is i i go to spiritual healing now 
and um, which is something that I discovered very early on, uh, right after my accident, and uh, and I've kept that up. And for me, whenever I go to spiritual healing, I feel like that's my way of really connecting with with my guides and 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 with that light. And um, that is is a sense of sort of of can be out of body. It, it really well, it's not really out of body because I'm not really, it, but it's it's a very in, very intense form of meditation it's and it's very cleansing and it's very, it's a very that's the closest i get to sort of being back in that place and that's something yeah. that's really beautiful yeah. i was going to ask you about that you talk about so joy is your the main healer that you talk about in your in your book and mm-hmm. um there is this experience where you go and she does hands-on healing on you and it's like you disappear mm-hmm. right you, you you kind of lose sense of your physical surrounding and you allude to having a vision. I don't think you really ex- explain it in the book, but then later on you say you painted, you're like you paint what you saw. Mm. So you allude to kind of seeing some beings again coming towards you. So that That's sounds right, a bit yeah. like you're certainly, I mean, I would interpret yeah, exactly. that as a, as a kind of an out-of-body experience because you've been dis- disconnected from the yeah, physical. It, yeah, with, exactly, yeah, it yeah. is. So, um, I mean, especially at the beginning when they first started healing me, um, um, I would sort of, you know, I'd see lots of beautiful lights and stuff like that. And uh, But there was one session where, um, I, when I was seeing these lights coming through, that, that I suddenly saw an image of Christ uh, looking at me. And, I, and it was really beautiful, and I thought nothing of it. And then as we sort of closed me down, closed down my chakras and, and finished that session, um, um, the healer turned around to me, Joy, and said, oh, um, you know do you know that christ was with you then i was going wow i said yeah i saw an image of christ myself so um and this image of christ that i'd seen was not the usual image of him that we all equate with his worst point where he's actually hanging off a cross it was um with the crown of thorns that he he looked really healthy and glowing and he was like just kind of shrouded in this kind of like white cloth and and was kind of floating in 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 the air as it were so so i immediately set task to painting that that was my next painting i wanted to do so that was again it was a huge canvas and uh and i wanted to paint him sort of like first of all i painted him sort of sort of floating but above the river because i live next to the river so i floated him painted floating above the river and as i came to do like a halo when I was doing a lot of these paintings, I was being sort of channeling ideas through. They were coming through. And that halo went from just being the usual line that you see in all the Renaissance paintings of Christ uh, to being the lights uh, that I'd seen throughout my healing sessions. So that was incorporated in his halo. And so there's right. been a lot of takes on that. People are saying, oh, is it a UFO? And I said, no, no, those are, that's what, those are the lights that I saw. So, so yeah, I guess that was kind of like as a body then. So, yeah, so that's probably it. But yeah, um, not so okay. much in dreams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, okay, so maybe we'll go to to your music now, right? Because that's the next. So, so the, the 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 paintings are pouring out of you. You're you're pouring. You're writing. You 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 know, you're creative, very creative in the flow. And then one night, you suddenly hear these sounds these these tune the tune right the beginning of a tune mm. um so yeah yeah i i 
I will just say, and then I'd like you to explain, explain, and then we'll talk mm-hmm. more about it. But what I loved about that was how it really f- was really symbolic for me. I thought, like, how the music arrived as a trickle, right? It started off as this trickle, and you got a little piece here, and you got a little piece there. And it made me think of, um, for, 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 I think for all of us, really, you know, like so many of us are, are wanting to know what's our life purpose, you know, what am I here for? And I want to see it, the whole picture. But mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of, when I'm reading that, I thought, really, you know, it's like that. Like if we were given the whole picture, this is all these things that you need to do in your life. It might be incredibly overwhelming. We'd go, how can I possibly do all these things, right? Because we don't see all the pieces. Um, mm. Whereas if it comes in a trickle, as it did for you, here are some notes and there are some notes. And you didn't even know how to put them together. But as it gradually unfolded, you kind of painted this musical canvas um, yeah. I thought it was a really lovely analogy for for the unfolding of life. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I I got no intention of actually writing anything for for orchestra at all um, at that stage. Um, I'd been trying to write a song actually um, about my near death experience because I figured that's all I knew. As as you pointed out earlier, that, that you know I just kind of played three chord wonder songs in punk bands or whatever, you know, and, uh, and I just thought that's what I'm going to write a song about it. So, but it just wasn't coming. It just wasn't happening. So I kind of scrapped that idea. I put it to one on one side, but I got this old synthesizer at the cupboard that, um, uh, and I'd been playing around and this one evening I was just kind of, these chords just came without me thinking about it. It was almost like my subconscious, uh, had stepped right in, uh, and without me even trying. And I thought, wow, that sounds really nice. And it appealed to me straight away. So I, I got nothing other than an old cassette recorder at that stage. So I just recorded it onto a cassette and came back, listened to it. And I thought, yeah, that is lovely. And I developed it from there. And I started to hear sounds, other sounds coming. I was using like a, a synthetic string sound at that point. And then I started hearing like flutes and horns would come through. So I realized I'd already learned by that stage that I've been sort of channeling ideas through the paintings that I discussed earlier with the Christ image. So I knew that I was how I, that when that was happening. So this started to happen with the music. I was now channeling ideas through with music. Um, and I, I'd also met, um, uh, a cellist from from the local orchestra who was in, who used to come up to look at my paintings and we got to become friends and I met for coffee one day and she said what are you up to at the moment so I told her what I was doing that I was I'd been working around on this chord progression that was slowly building up and I said it's, it's it sounds like it should be played by an orchestra rather than a, a rock and roll band you know and she said oh maybe we'll do it you know and so I thought, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. So I kind of hung on to that sentence and maybe we'll do it. And I just followed it through in the same way as the paintings. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. So I did. And it just all started to sort of suddenly evolve into this piece of music. And I got the first movement ready. And um, I thought, how am I going to get it to them now? And so my brother turned around and said, well, look, I can give you this software that you can attach to your computer that when you play the, the notes on your keyboard, it will transpose it into notation. Because I couldn't read or write a single note of music, which I still can't. So, um, so that's exactly what I did. And then we got it scored up and uh, I printed off the score and I took it to the orchestra. Yeah. We met for coffee and um, they looked at it 
and uh, they went quiet and they said okay we'll do it so I thought, brilliant you know so uh, so that was it yeah it was uh, amazing yeah so, no and it's a lovely piece of music and people can come and listen can listen to it on your website right david ditchfield yeah what com is it no, it's 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 shineonthestory.com. Oh, shine on the story. Uh, so yeah, shine on the story.com. So so that's my website. So if you go there, you can stream it for free. I, I'm not yeah. charging obviously for that. So I want people to be able to listen to it. It's called the Divine Light. So there's three movements to it. And so all three movements are on there. And the three movements take you through the the whole journey from of of the actual from the start of the near death experience right until the finale. And uh there's also a uh I I wanted to have a vocal in there as well, and that just came to me in the end. And uh, so I I got in touch with uh, a guy called Julian Merson, who's like one of the best sort of uh, tenor singers in Cambridge, you know. And uh, I thought, let's go to the top. Let's ask him if he knows anyone who could sing this. So I took the score along, and he loved it. He was just going, wow, this is really good. Mm. You know, he said... He said, "That's great that you put a C sharp or an F sharp major or whatever, you know." And I, and he said, "You wouldn't normally have that." And I was going, "Really? Okay." <laughs> I, thought, I don't know what he's talking about, but he likes it. So, and then he turned around and said, "Look, I'll do it. I'll sing it." So I went, "Great." So, so he sang the, uh, at the concert. So yeah, so that yeah, been, that would have been so so fulfilling, I guess, to see that, right? It was. Um, I mean, I'll never forget the very first rehearsal. That was that was a, that was the most incredible moment because uh, uh, again, I, well, I turned up at the rehearsal. I didn't know what it was going to sound like, how it was going to turn out. So there was obviously there was a moment of uh, of sort of concern it was going to work. You know, there was a, there was a, a certain anticipation, but there's also this incredible strength again that i was feeling this unconditional love that i was tapping into that i knew that i was being guided for this to come together so that gave me strength and i remember walking through the door and i walked to the rehearsal room and saw the orchestra all sat there and 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 for me coming from my background from a working class background and not being able to play anything but a few chords on a guitar suddenly faced with this orchestra which is a very highly educated middle class sort of arena you know it was quite daunting to say the least. And then the, the conductor turned around and said, oh, the composer's here. And it's like, the composer? <laughs> and uh, he said, do you want to step forward and talk about um, your piece, David? And I kind of bottled it. And I said, no, no, that's fine. You guys go ahead. He said, no, 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 come and talk. So I did. And uh, I started talking because I said that it was based on, they knew about my accident, but I said it was based on an and I explained the whole near-death experience. And people were asking questions, wanted to know all about it, and it was great, you know. So all these barriers and walls of worrying about class divide or what have you, or higher education, just dispersed. I mean, we were all on the same level. We were all singing from the same page. And um, when they started, those first few notes that I'd been tinkering around on that synthesizer suddenly came through in this massive three-dimensional sound of an orchestra performing um, and it was just the most i never forgot never forgotten it it's this beautiful experience just it kind of overwhelms me this beautiful sound came from well it's beautiful to me anyway but just hearing it all played by an orchestra and, and i thought yes yeah it works it works well and i imagine for you it also evokes the memory again right because that's what you were channeling as you were playing it so mm. it brings back that that state 
Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, that that especially when the concert happened because um, the concert sold out two weeks in advance, which again I knew that I was being guided to help that happen almost. You know, which was fantastic. You know, I and uh, I was sat on the front row with my family, and uh, we were all sat there. And again, there was there was a, a feeling of anticipation and in me that is it all going to sound good are they going to enjoy it but ultimately that was completely kind of cancelled out by this feeling of like no this is meant to happen this is all meant to come through and i enjoyed the performance and i was literally taking myself through the whole journey as i listened to it so it worked for me so if it works for me then it's gonna work for other people and it did you know there was a standing yeah. ovation and uh, people really but not just that not just the standing ovation part of it there's just the the body of people in that room i just felt everybody connected with it you know the 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 response after afterwards people talking to me just was just so beautiful you know people came along to the concert that I'd never met before. And this was the first time I was like meeting people who said, look, I've had a near death experience myself, myself. I was going great. And so we'd swap emails and, you know, it was just, it was, it was wonderful, but not just that people who never had anything to do with spirituality or whatever, who just read about my story about going under a train turned up and they were just really drawn in by the whole spiritual aspect of it all. Mm. So it was a, and and everybody from the spiritualist church turned up that was wonderful i just saw them all there you know and they were the first to stand up it was like wow and uh i was just that was just really amazing because i didn't expect I, I told them i i think they put a poster up i said can you put a flyer up but i didn't expect, i thought one or two would come but just it was brilliant it was a beautiful yeah, beautiful no, experience it's yeah sound, it's such a lovely sort of end to the book as well right it's a beautiful story I was curious, I noticed that there was a difference between the lyrics that are being sung and the lyrics that are in your book. Just a few slight differences. I think there's an extra line that is sung that's not in the book. Do you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you know anything about I, that? I'd have to check that out, yeah. yeah. No, I don't know about that. I didn't realise that. I thought, I thought we'd checked everything out there. So, uh, okay. Okay, uh, well, it's, it should be pretty much all in there, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, I thought there maybe had been some kind of evolution or something. No, process. no, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, but it, it should be all pretty much in there. Yeah, the lyrics. And though I wrote those lyrics on on a beach one day. I was just uh, on this magical beach. I'd 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 turned up, and it was it was at the time I was recovering, and my sister and her family had gone up there, and uh, I was staying at the house for a while and she said why don't you come up for the last few days i said i will do and i'd seen i'd read in the papers in the sunday times that there was there was going to be a meteor shower that night so i went and they got this little uh, like a, a house which was on the beach that they and there was like these sand dunes and right in front of the actual house and i sat on these sand dunes at three in the morning and watched this meteor shower going over the the sea over the calm sea it was just and that felt like like that was almost like an out-of-body experience in itself, just watching this beautiful display uh, of this meteor shark. And I was sat there on my own. I thought, this is, this is incredible. And the very next day, I just um, lay on, on the beach on my own, uh, and the lyrics just came through. And I wrote them immediately, just within, in, what, in the space of one afternoon. And yeah. so that I channeled them all through. So, so yeah. 
And, you know, I remember you talk about in the book, it's, it's kind of, you, you talk about how you were guided, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night, you just had the sense, get out of bed, go downstairs, go outside to see this meteor shower. But it made me wonder whether that guidance, has that become part of your life? Do you feel like that now that there are these, you know, you're following, you're following your guidance? Are you attuned to it? Are you getting certain signals? You know, is there certain ways that you, yeah. you go, oh, I think this is something here. This is a message or there's a... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, to to I'm totally... Um, uh, as time's gone on, I've become even more attuned to it as well. I'm realizing that certain things happen, certain signs that I know happen to me personally that makes me realize that, um, you know, that, that my guides are with me and that they're actually giving me signals to, to help me help guide me um most certainly um you know and there's lots of things that you know i always say when people turn around to me and say oh well that was a coincidence wasn't it that's brilliant and i say no there's no such thing as coincidence you know um things are meant to happen you know it's like synchronicity if you like you're meant to sort of certain people are meant to cross your path at, at one particular point you know it's it's like for example if you think about it if you if you bump into somebody in your in the town where you live and you bump into that person and you have a conversation you needed to have that conversation the odds of you actually bumping into that person you think about it looking from a, a you know like a, a sort of camera up in the sky looking down and you both leave your houses and, and you go through all these you know hundreds of people and all of a sudden you just cross paths at that point you know the odds are of that happening is is mad but you were meant to bump into that particular person and stuff so yeah i kind of like i i'm totally in in on a daily basis i'm i'm just kind of realizing i, I kind of listen out for signs and signals that are personal to me that that guide me yeah so i'm very guided and would you have yeah, any suggestions to people listening like how they could incorporate that or, or how do we go about you know tuning into to those sort of things um I think that it's really important to sort of like, for me, I get little signs, you know, of, um, for example, I know this has become a common thing because, I mean, I think this is where I learned from it. Somebody say, if you're looking at your laptop, for example, and you look at the time and it's and it's two figures, it's, uh, it's like 11-11 or something like that, or 22-22, they say, oh, that's a sign that, you know, that um, your guides are, are with you and stuff. And I think that's very true because that's just one example to that. And I find that when that happens, it, I try and stop and go into the moment is, is what I call it. Say for example, I'm really stressed about something. I'm thinking, how am I going to deal with this? Or, or did I just make a huge mistake there? And, and I start getting, uh, how am I going to deal with that? And if I see 22, 22 on my laptop, I, it, it makes me think, ah, my guides are with me. They're trying to say, look it's you know it's not your fault just 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 go into the moment and and go into uh, and it helps me to stop and almost like realize that the past is doesn't exist anymore whatever happened wherever if i just made a mistake 10 minutes ago that's in the past it doesn't exist what what is real is the, the here and now and be be a, and just sort of be a part of you know the, the of, of that moment and also the future doesn't exist if you're worried or concerned about the future whether tomorrow's meeting is going to go well or not or what have you you don't know that is the future so just deal with the here and now so so whenever i get those signals that's exactly what i do and that really helps me it helps me to ground myself by mm. 
realizing you know that you know be be in the moment you know yeah uh, if, if that's advice i can yeah, give yeah that's, that's a very that's very i think that's very powerful and very practical and very simple in a sense you know as a concept advice yeah now there's a question here from chantal snyder she is saying the energy you found during the near-death experience are you able to retrieve it for instance during yoga or meditation or has the abundant energy never left you while you integrated in normal life? Um, yeah, again, that's a great question because um, it's, uh, I would say, especially at the very beginning when I came back, when I was in hospital, the energy there was, was still within me very strongly. Uh, I felt like I was still, like there was a chord of me that was still part of me was in that uh, other realm. You know, I felt like I was still attached to it and the energy was still flowing through into me and was helping me recover and um but again going back to um, uh, spiritual healing when i go to healing I've, I've i definitely feel that there's that the sensation that i have there uh, is is very equivalent to 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 the healing that i was receiving from the three beings when i was in my near-death experience um but it's 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 never it, it has never left me so so yeah it, it is there but it, it's something that as I say, I don't feel that we have to have a near-death experience to be able to tap into that. You know, we've, we've all got our guides and we can all try and connect with them as, as, as much as we possibly can, you know. And meditation or spiritual healing is brilliant. I mean, spiritual healing is something that, you know, nobody seems to know much about. I mean, the, the place I go to, there's hardly anybody turns up, which is crazy. People should be queuing around the block to come in, I think, you know, because mm. it's just... It's just whenever people do come along, and I've, I've told people about it who've never heard of it, and they come along, and they love it. Everyone, no one's ever turned around and said, "Oh, yeah, you know, I didn't really get much from it." Everybody really benefits from it because they're also that it helps them to stop. And as I just said a few moments ago, to actually be in the moment and and just you just literally shut out what's going on, you know, around yeah. you. So yeah, so and there's something I, about I opening connect. up to the opening ourselves up to those other dimensions, right? To allowing, mm. to acknowledging that there's something there and to allowing, allowing ourselves to be supported from there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because I mean, one thing I, I feel like I said to you earlier, when I was in my near death experience, I felt like I was in the universe itself. And, and I realize now that the, the universe is very much a part of us here on earth, you know, that, um, you know, it's the way I see it is is the universe wants to create. It wants goodness. It wants things to to happen. You know, it, it, it you look at nature around us. The universe is in control of that. It it, it makes you know every spring arise for every part of the world. It makes every flower grow. Every new life develop and stuff. That it wants goodness to come through. So. It, why not within us as, as, as human beings, as souls, you know, the uni if we stop to allow the universe in and then the universe will allow that, that growth within us. So, so yeah, so it, it's, um, if we can try and get in touch with that, that's a very important thing. You know, mm. um, when, when we talked about the astronaut things in the book, you know, that was, I, I, I was keen straight away. To, I was, drawn to watching tv programs and films all about astronauts because i was keen to see what their take was on being out in space out in the universe themselves if you like you know and it was interesting because 
they I was quite blown away because they're scientists. I mean, they are absolute scientists. They have to be. You know, they, they, they're not going to send um, people who are spiritual out into space. They're going to send, you've got to be a 100% scientist to be, be able to deal with that job. But, man, you know, some of those guys, you know, when you hear the, the recordings back, you know, especially on the, the Apollo 11 trip when they went to the moon, you talk, you know, you listen to them and they're, they're getting in touch with their spiritual side because they're looking back at the earth and they're going, wow, man, look at this. You know, this is incredible. And they just, it's almost, they were allowing the, you know, um, the energy of the universe to come through to them. And, and, and it's interesting because I watched the Apollo 11 program through it was like it's, uh, the whole thing and, and all the tapes back and they were saying how everything just fell into place on that mission things should have gone wrong you know when they yeah. when you know when they were landing on the moon it, it was hitting they were running out of fuel you know they got 17 yeah. seconds worth of fuel left but they did it and it happened you know and it was like again it was like my concert that they were being guided for that to come that's how i felt when i watched that program they were being guided you know, so there was a lot of spiritual stuff going on there. There was the universe was helping that to happen because it was not just for those three individual men; it was for for all of us. It was it was something that they wanted that to be able to bring back. You know, this this incredible mm. gift and message to us. Yeah, also, maybe this, this sense that we we're a part of something bigger, right? That we're not just confined to this little no spot here. Yeah. No, we're not. But also one thing I do feel as well, which is exactly what the astronauts said. A few of them said that when they come back to Earth, they said, uh, one of them actually said, when you, when you come back to Earth, you realise that when you look at all the colours and everything, and you see that straight away, that Earth is like heaven. It's heaven on Earth itself, you know. And that's another thing that I do feel as well, that I, I, since my near-death experience, my appreciation of the Earth and, and uh, everything around nature and everything is just so much more, you know, like the dials turned up on that big time. Yeah. Like that moment when I was lying on the track looking at the blue sky. Yes. I still feel that appreciation big time. So, And so I think that's, that's what like. so many people who have profound spiritual experiences, that's what they describe, right? Life just seems more vibrant. You kind of see that the appreciation for life and the, the, you see that light that you describe in those beings, you see it right here yeah. right in, yeah. in nature and other people. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. So that's, that's important to, to, to grasp. Um, so let me just see here. Uh, so Chantal, who just asked a question is just saying, I really love to connect with you because I remember, uh, I remember, I'm not sure that word, abundance now, so life has gotten brighter since listening to this interview. Abundance, maybe. Um, thank you. So that's thank you from, and there was a couple of other thank yous here thank from you. Christina. And, um, yeah. So I have a thank couple of more much. questions, maybe, and then, David, yeah. we can. Um, sure. We can. So the first question, this is just pure curiosity, is what happened with Anna? Ah. Well, um, we've, we've remained friends, you know, we, we continue to be friends. And I think what happened to, to us both was a, a very intense <laughs> moment in our lives, you know, um, and, um, but a very beautiful one as well. I mean, it was, it, obviously it was horrific. I mean, poor Anna had to what the most terrible thing unfold be, before her eyes. Yes. And that concerned me deeply and I don't know how she dealt with that and how she has continued to deal with it but you know but we're we've we've since moved on with our life but we still keep in touch you know and she's read yeah. the book and she really she really loves it and so 
Um, yeah, but I think that we were just meant to sort of, well, I was certainly meant to meet her and she was meant to be a, a, a big part of the story, just even though I'd only just met her just before that. You know, again, going back to synchronicity, we I was meant to to have met her. I don't know why, but there you have it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, in the book, even, you know, your first conversation that you have, it's almost like she's the first voice that kind of starts pulling at your sense of your lack of self-worth yeah. and all that, you know, there's sort of this bright spark that enters your life and you. She, yeah, she was, she was, she was, she was like a complete antithesis to all the people that I was hanging out with and sort of aspiring to, you know, she was like this voice of um, authenticity, you know, yeah. and, and as much as I was attracted to that and, and felt that I, I wanted that, I was also scared of it as well. And I kind of pushed it away, you know, I was just, um, because of the, probably because of the lack of self-worth, I didn't think that I deserved that, you know, and I thought that she was, I just saw her as being you know, this purity that I, that I didn't deserve in my life. But, you know, she stuck in there. She was amazing. You know, she just, she kind of, she was great. She's, well, she still is. She's a wonderful soul. But um, yeah, but it's, it, it was very important for me that I met her. And so she mm. always will be very important. And, um, and look, I, I was, I'll, kind of end on a quote from Irene again and then just see if you have anything to say. I just really, I find that really a really great passage. Um, so you've got Irene saying, it's essential to be ordinary and to find yourself in the ordinary. There is no lasting fulfillment in greatness. The lasting fulfillment is in the ordinary. That's where you will find real love. <laughs> exactly. So uh, there you go. I mean, um, this this is again going back to the fact that I, I was I was searching for and aspiring to uh, empty goals really. And what I what she's saying, which is also ties in with my near death experience, is is that really I discovered when I had my near death experience, I was given all this unconditional love, and I brought that back with me. And I the big lesson I learned from Irene and also from my experience was self-love. And once you start with self-love, that's when you begin to find self-worth. And that's when things begin to not just happen in your life, but they, they begin to actually come to you. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's really interesting, you know? So her saying that I wanted to put all that in because again, I want to balance my whole story out and the whole book out with science versus spirituality. So, you know, Irene, that quote, I thought, well, that's amazing for her to come from a scientific point of view and say that as a therapist, she's really tapping into what I'd experienced on the other side. So, yeah. yeah. And it's not just science versus, you know, the, the spiritual, I feel it's also, the real human, you know, just the everyday human experience versus the transcendental, yeah. I'm in the cosmos yeah. kind of experience, which is beautiful and, you know, uplifting. And then we are here in this body having to deal with whatever we have to deal with, right? And exactly. That's yeah. for me, that's also really powerful in that quote. Thank you. Yeah. Um, exactly. But I'm, that's, that's what I'm hopefully about as well with, with with the way i tell my story that it's just you know i'm i'm a regular guy and uh, and you know this happened to me and, and i'm not trying to sort of pump it up like um i'm suddenly this 
enlightened spiritual soul who can heal the world. You know, I'm just, I'm not trying to, I'm, I want this story to be as real and as authentic as it is. And, and so that's why it's important to get that across, you know, yeah. that, that of, you know, that realness as it, as it were, because it, cause I am real. I mean, like I said to you, you know, I, I, I did have to deal with it. I mean, staring deaf in, in the face is like, is not something that I'd recommend to anybody. And, and ultimately I had to process that and, and it took a lot of processing. And, and, and I figured that that was just as important as going into my book as all the spiritual aspects of, yeah. of it. So, yeah. And actually just, I just remembered there's uh, somebody who had actually in a, one of the Facebook groups, I mean, had shared uh, about your book and how much he'd been touched by that. And when I mentioned I would interview you, he, he asked to, to ask, whether you're still feeling inspired to write music now and to paint, is that still something that's coming through you? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's happening all the time. Um, okay. I mean, I'm working on a new piece now, uh, which is called, I wasn't expecting this and that, that's my, and that's going to be for orchestra as well. So, so that's coming together really for me very beautifully. So I'm being guided to, so I've done quite a few. I, I mean, I got commissioned after doing that first piece, you know, People would step forward and say, oh, we'd like to commission you to write something for us. I wrote something. I was commissioned by this group called the Cambridge Clarinet Choir. And again, that was a whole new territory for me. I didn't even realize that, that there were about six different sizes of clarinets. You know, there's like a right. bass clarinet, which is about six foot in length, you know. And I, I, I met these guys and we went along to their rehearsal and I thought, okay. And I went away and I, and I did it. And I wrote a piece for them. And they said, look, Two of our members played in, in your first piece in the orchestra. That's how we contacted you. And they said that you wrote a really beautiful spiritual piece. Would you write something spiritual for us? I said, yeah, totally, you know. So, yeah, so that was also based on my experience. So that was lovely. So, yeah, so I continue to paint and I continue to write music. So that's, that's, that's never going to go away. So that's, that's, that'll continue onwards, you know. That really feels like your expression now, does it? That's like your kind of... Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and a lot of this, the work that I do, the, the, the majority of it is is, is um, based on my spiritual sort of uh, journey and, and that continues to be, um, you know, that's, that's because that's, that's the easiest way for me to, for, for ideas to come through because that's basically, you know, it's, it's the core of me, you know. It's, 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 a, it's a major event that happened in my life and, it, and it's something that... I mean, I, I, again, I want this fine balance. I don't want to be, I never ever want to, um, to be sort of trying to um, sort of pump my message over like I'm trying to sort of convert people and say, hey, look, you know, I had a near-death experience. You know, you've all got to listen to this. You know, I want people to only come and hear my story if they want to, If you know, there's, there's an invitation there to everyone. But ultimately, yeah, most, most of my work is, is based on, on, on my spiritual journey and, and and the journey is still you know evolving it's still opening up so each yeah. piece that i do is different yeah yeah well it's exciting right and i'm i'm definitely going to be Thank watching you. you know watching you and tuning in occasionally and seeing what you've come up with the new music and so oh, thanks very much yeah. um so yeah thanks so much for coming on david do you just want to share if people want to you've already said your website but maybe give yeah, that again sure. that detail and how people can connect with you and yeah, if, it's it's called uh, shineonthestory.com, which is my website. So basically, if you if you want to go to that 
um, website. You'll find everything on there. You'll get links from my Facebook page and Instagram. Instagram page, if you want to follow me there, you'll see a lot of my artwork and, and, and all the new stuff that's coming through. And, um, and then you can also listen to my SoundCloud page. So you'll hear my music if you go onto the website. So if you just click on that. So that's the best thing. And, if, and also, I'm going to be just to say that in August, I, I, I will be taking part in the, um, the third annual uh, online NDE summit. Uh, which is this is taking place the first and second of August, so that'll be good because there'll be other people, some big speakers in in that field. Oh, sorry, right, don't worry about it. <laughs> False alarm. Um, uh, it's okay. We've got fire alarms that they test every morning, so yeah. well, once a week. Anyhow, um, where was I? So yes, yeah, so, uh, the online summit, the near death experience. Summit. The online summit, yeah. So there's going to be some really good speakers there. So if people want to come along and sign up to that have a look at my facebook page and you'll see you know there'll be stuff coming out and they'll be able to see, see what's happening um and then of course the book the book um is out now so you can order that through amazon and it's called shine on um but you can also click for links on my website to to buy the book as well so yeah so please if you fancy reading more about my story please yeah just go out and have a look at that <laughs> I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it on social media to help others find it. The tune Seeing Us Out is another one from Axel Teslev. This one is called Akasha. You can find more information about today's guest on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com including any links to their work and their contact details. On my website, you'll also find my blog and information and reviews about my book, Multidimensional Evolution, which you can purchase in any good bookstore if you want to show your love for this show and get practical info for your own exploration of consciousness. Finally, please get in touch, whether it is to ask questions share experiences, or suggest guests and topics. I always love hearing from people, as I believe it is through sharing with each other that we can all grow together. Until then, or until you tune in again, I am sending you my very best energies.